Hi there, I'm the not so young nerd and this let's watch every Mortal Kombat movie. This is a show where we pick an actor, director or franchise and watch every single movie so I can talk about it with you. If you're new to the channel, welcome. And if you're already a subscriber, welcome back. You can watch the show right here on YouTube every Tuesday. And if you prefer to consume your content in audio format, I do all my shows as podcasts. Just need to look for not so young nerd on all your favorite podcast services. Before I begin, to the official recap slash review, I do need to clarify something about the movies that I watched. There's a couple animated Mortal Kombat movies that I'm like going to be reviewing because I'm only going to be talking about the theatrically released films. That means I'm only going to be talking about the 1995 classic, the 1997 sequel, and the 2021 review. I will touch upon a machinima short and series that came out in 2010 because they share some of the same DNA as a new movie. But let's save that until later. I'm going to be spoiling every single movie so if you want spoilers then this is not the video for you. Let's begin. Mortal Kombat 1995. We start on a high with 1990s 5 Mortal Kombat. This has to be one of the best video games movies of all time which is not saying much but compared to the competition like Prince of Persia, Street Fighter, Super Mario Bros. This movie is a gem. Outside the video game space people think this is a horrible movie and it certainly has areas where it can improve but it does other things surprisingly well like the characters, the setting, the action and some story beats. For those who haven't seen the movie in a long time let me summarize it for you now. Liu Kang the protagonist of the video games gets a vision of someone named Chang Sung killing his little brother. After that we move on to Sonya Blade who needs to retrain or something because the way she moves through a crowd it's plain bad and dangerous. Sonya is supposed to be this great secret ops but she handles her gun like it's a nerf gun. It's weird. Anyway she's looking for Kano who killed her partner and before you think her partner is Jax nope someone else. Kano is talking to Chang Sung and it seems Sung is making a deal with Kano to get Sonya onto that boat. That boat they're referring to is the vessel that is going to take them to the Mortal Kombat tournament. After this we get introduced to Johnny Cage who's one of my favorite characters in live action. Cage gets called a hack and to be able to prove that he's not he's going to enter Mortal Kombat. One of the biggest advantages and disadvantages this movie has is its fast pacing. It's nice to get this story going this quickly but sometimes because of the speed they forget to develop their characters. Shang Tsung, Kano, Sonya, Lu, Johnny and Raiden are all at the dock and this is basically where every single important character of the story meets. The characters learn about their mission which is to save the world by winning the Mortal Kombat tournament. We get introduced to the weird fascination Shang Tsung has with Sonya Blade and it's weird at the beginning, it's weird in the middle, it's weird at the end, it's weird throughout the whole movie. I don't know why it's there except it's the 90s. After the heroes get to the island, they battle various degrees of iconic character. Sonya faces against Kano and she breaks his neck using one of the video game moves and Cage faces off against Scorpion and Goro. Kane faces off against a random dude who's not iconic at all, obviously. Katana, who is very mysterious in this movie. Sub-Zero, Reptile, and finally Chang Sung. Kang defeats Sung by using another video game move and impels him on 
on dragon shaped spikes. Every song Sung has ever stolen gets released and Kang is able to see his brother for the last time before saying goodbye for good. Kang has won Mortal Kombat and the world is saved. Or is it? Because the movie ends with Shao Kahn not giving a about the rules and tells the heroes to get ready because he's about to some up. Raiden says, I don't think so. And the iconic theme song starts. The heroes get into their battle pose, the credits roll, and with this, one of the best cliffhangers in movie history was born. Yeah, I said it. One of the best. It's not all sunshine and rainbows though. While they do their best on more technical aspects of the movie, the special effects are rough to put it nicely. Another thing working against the movie is that they move too fast through the story, making some elements feel forced, like Cage's romance with Blade and especially Kang's romance with Katana. The set design also looks cheap, but this isn't quite their fault since this is only a $20 million budget movie. It sounds like a lot because $20 million is a lot, but for movies, it isn't. In comparison, the first Mission Impossible that came out a year after this movie had a budget of 80 million. Even with this limited budget, they still do their best and make every set feel and look different, creating a unique atmosphere throughout. The central story of Liu Kang trying to get revenge for his brother and then realizing that everybody is responsible for their own choices is a good grown-up message. So not only does this movie have good action, and fun banter, but it has an effective emotional storyline as well. That's what I'm talking about when I say that this movie does a lot of things right. It gives more depth to one of its characters than a 90s video game action movie should have had at that time. They nailed the characterization of some characters so much so that the movie inspired the characters of the video games moving forward. Like Kano, before the movie was released, was just a dude, but after this movie, he became the loud mouthed Australian with no manners that we know and love. Another impressive thing about this movie is its animatronic Goro. Even after almost 30 years, that character still looks as good as it did in the 90s. That's the power of practical effects. If you don't agree with me, that's fine. If you don't think that the friendship between these characters are endearing, that's fine too. But the one thing, and I mean the one thing that no one can deny, is the amazing theme song this movie has. I mean, you put that song on the gym today, and I promise you, you're going to have a great workout. That song was so good it charted on the radio when it was released which is a very old sentence to say but it's true the soundtrack went platinum and peaked at number 10 on the billboard 200 that song is actually still used as the soundtrack of the whole franchise today even after 26 years later those were my two cents about the original mortal kombat movie now moving on to its horrible sequel mortal kombat annihilation 1997 this movie is the stuff of legends if someone wanted to make a bad movie on purpose a movie so bad you can't even laugh at how bad it is it will still not be as bad as this movie for some reason this movie is devoid of any life it's almost like the character read a textbook on filmmaking and did the complete opposite and i don't know why you had such an interesting basis for a sequel you had more budget and you had arguably more public interest so why would they do this nobody was like this is wrong it even starts wrong for some reason they didn't continue with the original ending of the first movie and they changed it to make it better I guess. They also recasted everyone except for Lou and Kitana and gave them new clothes, breaking any sort of continuity. The prequel was two years ago at that time, obviously. Maybe updating the wardrobe isn't that noticeable, 
but changing events and recasting everybody is just way too much. In the last movie, Shao Kahn had a messed up mouth. Like he was otherworldly. He was more of a monster in this one. He's just a dude in a mask. Anyways, that was my little rant. Let's begin. Raiden gets replaced by Dexter's dad from the show Dexter. Shao Kahn arrives with his goonies who are Shiva, Mitaro, Quincendale, which is Kitana's supposed dead mother. and some other characters from the games. Khan says that the earth was created in six days, so it too shall be destroyed. But why six days? Why not now? If you have your enemies on the ropes with a surprise attack, why not just finish it now? Why give more time to the heroes to regroup and make a strategy? Also, Khan basically confirmed that the Jesus story in this universe actually happened. How else would you explain that this almost god knows about the creation of another realm, how long it took? I doubt he studied like different religions of planet earth. Anyways, moving on. Khan grabs a new Sonya Blade and Johnny Cage tries to save her using one of the video game moves and it looks awful. The CGI in this movie is some of the worst I've ever seen. The last movie from two years ago had better CGI than this movie, which is strange again because this movie had more budget. Like on almost every scene, you can see the white outline where they cut out the actress from the green screen. Anyways, Johnny tries to save Sonya, but Khan kills him using a neck snap. Crass. Cage was one of the main and best characters from the last movie, so I don't understand this decision to kill him off immediately. It's weird and it doesn't make sense. Seeing as they are in a fight they can't win, the heroes retreat to gather even more heroes in order to have a fighting chance. The heroes retreat to a series of tunnels that have a couple of rolling balls that can take you anywhere on earth in a couple of hours. Kinda like how a plane would do but in a more uncomfortable position. Anyways, Lou and Katana go off looking for Nightwolf. Well, Raiden and Sonya go to find Jax. Just like the previous film, the story has a very simple concept that opens it up to be able to have fights pretty much whenever he wants. Lou faces off against Scorpion, and when he was about to lose, Sub-Zero's little brother comes in to save the day. He also builds a nice bridge that Lou later jumps across with relative ease, meaning that there was no need to have that ice bridge. Scorpion takes Katana away, and then we never see Scorpion again. Later, Lou faces off against Nightwolf, he gets introduced by showing off his animality. Pretty cool, huh? It's my animality. Something Lou will have to learn for some reason. Lou faces off against Jade, beautiful Jade, as everyone keeps referring to her. Sonya and Jax fight Cyrax, who looks like a dude in a suit pretending to be a robot. Before this fight, we find Jax all by himself in a high-tech sterile laboratory. It seems like he had to go under for some kind of procedure. This is going to be very important later, so hang on. Raiden goes to a temple, which is just better in real life, and asks the Elder God about what's happening. He says that Earth Realm won Mortal Kombat. So why is Shao Kahn even able to invade? Raiden gets allowed three questions to the gods and his first is obviously, why did you allow this to happen? And the gods basically tell him to leave them alone, that they don't answer to anyone and to stop bothering them. Then they tell him that if he wants to save his friends, he must also fight. But in order to do that and not defy the gods who don't do sh against Khan, but would do so against Raiden for some reason, 
has to let go of his godly powers since technically the character of Raiden is kind of like Gandalf, which means he's a protector who cannot get too involved. He's more of a referee than anything else. He lets go of his godly powers by cutting his hair, something they make a very weird point of mentioning. So when all the fighters are gathered and the six days have passed, we get the final fight. Lu is no match for Khan at all until he unleashes his animality, which turns him into an ugly CGI dragon. Khan also transforms, because why not? And the elder gods finally get off their asses and tells everybody that this should be decided as it's always meant to be decided by Mortal Kombat. At this point, the theme song starts and Liu Kane, of course, saves the day. There's a lot of weird things in this movie that I haven't mentioned, so I'll just try to summarize it here. Kitana gets kidnapped by Scorpion, who we never see again. Why? It turns out that in this universe, Khan is Raiden's brother, which will make him a god. But one of the most interesting aspects of Khan is the fact that he's not a god, but he has god-like strength. There is a video game that suggests that he might be a god, but that video game didn't come out until many years later. Lu learns his animality from Nightwolf, but Nightwolf never joins the fight. Why? He seems to know Raiden pretty well, so why wouldn't he help him? Sub-Zero is also never to be seen again, even though he wants to avenge the death of his big brother. Sonya fights in mud at some point, gets all dirty, just like mud will make you when you're wearing a white t-shirt and short shorts. But on the next scene, she's completely clean. Where did she store an extra t-shirt and short shorts? Not in those short shorts for sure. Jade betrays the group, but she was working with Nightwolf and it seemed like she had been working with them for a long time. So when exactly did she start planning this double agent treason reversal moment? The balls that take you from one place to another in a matter of hours? Why hours? Why are you trying to show this awesome machines? Why wouldn't you make them minutes? Another thing about those balls, why can you sit down in them? Why do you have to be standing up facing your partner all awkwardly? And why would you make them for a maximum of two people at a time? You can't move that many people like that. If you had eight fighters that needed to go to the same place and you can only have two balls and those two balls can only have two fighters at a time, it means that the last people to take a ride on those things would have had to wait two hours for their turn. Plus, the hour that it takes to get there. If you're on the run or need to join a fight, who has those three hours to kill? It makes no sense. Why did the Elder Gods say that this needs to be decided in Mortal Kombat if Earthrealm, sorry, Earthrealm, Sorry again, Earthrealm already won it. Just because some dude decided to be a dick? That seems kind of unfair. Kitana is said to be over and over to be the key. The key to what? Also, there's a prophecy, but like, what's the prophecy? And then the prophecy lied. So how can a prophecy be planted as a lie such a long time ago just for this very moment. It makes no sense. Why do the characters always do a front facing flip when it's unnecessary, it doesn't look good, and it's completely nuts? And why does Raiden kick the air so many times in this scene? Who thought this was cool? And here comes my biggest what the fuck question of the day. Jax had to go under for his arm enhancement, enhancement surgery, but later he's able to take them off like if they were sleeves. So why would he then need to go under if it didn't replace his arms or even perforated them in any way? They seem to be attached by some kind of glue. So why would they need to put him under? Why? Just to... <laughs>
Just tell me why. Why would you need to be unconscious for something you can just take off whenever you want without any consequences? Why is this movie so bad? Why? This is a bad movie. And as you can tell, it hurts my brain. Nothing makes sense in this movie. Absolutely nothing. They were so focused on showing as many characters as possible that they forgot to make a movie. A real movie. In a sense, it seems more like a commercial. Mortal Kombat action figure. Which might have been the goal, but at least make it an entertaining commercial. It was thanks to this movie that they killed any process, sorry, prospects of a third movie being released. That's not good for business. That's not good for anyone. This movie was so bad, it took 24 years to make another Mortal Kombat movie. Anyways, rant over. I can't recommend this movie at all. Not even as a good bad movie. So if you're going to watch it, do it under your own risk. It's almost time to talk about the 2021 movie. But before that, I want to go over the Machinima online short and its series. These two projects are actually what made the 2021 movie happen. Back in 2009, the company who made Mortal Kombat, Midway Interactive, went bankrupt. After filing for bankruptcy, they were bought by Warner Brothers, and it was here when Mortal Kombat had a resurgence and started releasing great games again, starting with Mortal Kombat 9. But going back to 2009, they were desperate for a win. And that's where Kevin Tenchirian, and I hope, I hope I'm saying that right, Tenchirian comes in. Tenchirian is the director of a 2004 Britney Spears documentary, the show Pussycat Dolls, uh, the Pussycat Dolls Presents, the search for the next Pussycat Dolls, a remake of an 80s movie called Fame, and most importantly, Glee, the 3D concert. So what does someone like him have to do with a gory and bloody franchise? A lot, actually a lot. In 2010, Tenturian spent his own money to make a short that was meant as a pitch for a new movie, but it was leaked online. When it was first appeared, people didn't know what to make of it. Some people thought it was a very special, very well-produced commercial for a game. Others thought it was a teaser trailer for a new film. Others just took it as a joke. There was no way that they were going to make another Mortal Kombat movie, especially when the franchise had crushed and burned so bad. Today, getting well-produced shorts of established franchises is way more common than it was 11 years ago. So when this thing dropped, it really blew people away, including myself. The short and the following series, which was greenlit thanks to the success of the short, has one central motto. To not shy away from the mystic elements, but they have to do it in a very tasteful way. It's this motto that is present in the new movie as well. The Scorpion episode of the series actually looks a lot like the new movie. The web series was so successful that Tenchirin was set to direct the new movie but had to step down for some reason. Instead, the new director was a producer on the web series. It's all in the family. Aside from that, Centurion and the writer of the web series also get a story credit in the new movie. So with that information out of the way, let's move on to the 2021 Mortal Kombat movie. Mortal Kombat 2021. Right off the bat, I want to start by saying how fun this movie is. It does have some pacing issues and its main character is not well developed. 
something which I'll talk about more in detail later. But my God, this is a fun, fun movie. I had a smile on my face the whole way through, except for the beginning, because the beginning is actually very sad and it messes you up. More on that later. Even in that grim beginning, the movie is filled to the brim with exciting fighting sequences, some really cool set pieces, video game accurate moves and powers and easter eggs and references and best of all fatalities all oh, the fatalities are so good anyways without further ado here's my recap and review of mortal kombat 2021 we open in feudal japan hanzo aka scorpion well not scorpion yet seems to be hiding because he's alone with his family surrounded by bodyguards we get a zoom shot of scorpion's iconic kunai hanzo's infant daughter starts to cry inside the house yubie hanzo's son wants to check in on her hanzo says to go ahead and the wife Harumi tells Hanzo that they're going to need more than two buckets of water. Hanzo offers to go but before he leaves he whispers to Harumi that he's honored and grateful to have her by his side. They blush like two middle school kids after holding hands and Hanzo leaves for the buckets of water while the wife goes inside the house to check on her baby daughter. Inside she asks herself how can it be so cold? She doesn't know but we know that this means that Sub-Zero must be close and in fact he is. Bihan aka Sub-Zero aka one of the actors from the raid aka one of my favorite martial arts movie of all time comes and kills everyone you can tell that this movie is r-rated immediately by the amount of blood on the screen before bihan could enter arumi hides her baby daughter leaving them without time to run away bihan enters the house and he's immediately intimidating this reminds me of the first time i saw darth vader coming in looking all boss and he basically serves the same function as darth vader in the star wars universe he wants to know where hanzo is it's important to note that the movie makes a point of showing that they're speaking different languages so bihan is speaking chinese while hanzo is japanese when he gets close to harumi jubei steps in and tries to defend his mother with his arms like this something bihan finds adorable i know bihan just brutally killed a bunch of dudes but what happens next is the first thing that made me go okay this dude is heartless bihan tries to grab yubei's hand in a friendly manner seeming like a cool dude that won't hurt children but he's not a cool dude not at all harumi takes yubei's hand away and five seconds later you can see bihan's hand is literally freezing which means that he wanted to freeze yubei's hands which means he wanted to freeze the hand of a child which means he wanted to torture a child before killing him which means bihan is a monster who hurts children Shame on Bihan. Bihan gets ready to kill Harumi and Yubei. And before we could see this, the camera cuts away, but we do hear a scream. Hanzo immediately leaves after listening to the scream, leaving the two buckets of water, which in the 1995 movie we learned is the element of life. To win your next match, use the element which brings life. What? Before Hanzo left, we do get to see that for some reason he has an MK Dragon logo on his wrist. Hanzo arrives to his house, finds everyone inside dead, including his wife and child, who are not only impaled, but also frozen. Hanzo asks for forgiveness while dropping to his knees, but he can't grieve for long because the other clan is waiting for him. Hanzo gets his revenge and kills everyone with a combination of his katana and later his iconic kunai. After he kills all the lackeys, we get the final showdown, Hanzo versus Bihan. Hanzo throws his kunai straight at Bihan, 
but he's able to dodge it by moving his head slightly left. Hansel retracts his kunai and cuts him in the process, something Bihan hated. It seems like Hansel will be able to get his revenge, but in the second, the tables turn and Bihan kills him. Or does he? Hansel wakes up a couple of hours later, thanks to the cry of his infant daughter. He does his best to go to her, but dies right before he could reach her. Hansel disappears, leaving ashes on the ground he was crawling on, and Raiden, the god of thunder, takes Hansel's baby daughter away. The music on the background goes into the foreground, while the Mortal Kombat letters get revealed. We cut to black, and with that, the introduction of the movie, one of its villains, and one of the main themes revenge gets set up the movie is pretty straightforward after this and loses much of the emotional resonance that the beginning built we get a brand new character called cole young he used to be a successful mma fighter but now he's fighting for 200 a fight which is not a lot of money when you're getting your ass kicked his daughter makes him a string bracelet which is black and yellow a nice touch the tape holding young's backpack is also yellow giving you a clue as to who this character is related to young loses something he seems to be used to by now at this point jacks enters the story and asks cole about his birthmark which is the shape of the mortal kombat dragon it's at this point that the line of the trailer gets fixed from saying this it's a birthmark what do you mean he was born with it. To this. He was born with it. What do you mean? It's a birthmark. You serious? A small but significant change. Young and his family go out for ice cream. Jack surveys them from his car. Everything turns cold inside the ice cream shop. It starts to snow. Later, everything freezes and boom, it's Sub-Zero again, acting kind of like a Darth Vader type. But this time, he seems to be more powerful than ever actually, more powerful than we even saw him before. Sub-Zero is there to kill everyone with the dragon birthmark. Jax interferes and tells him to get in if he wants to live, a la Terminator. Young and his family go inside the car. Jax later follows Sub-Zero to an abandoned warehouse and that's where he loses his arms. While Jax was doing that, Cole escaped with his family to Sonya's Blade residence. Blade has Kano hostage and I didn't mention that we do see Chang Sung in Outer World with his champions. This is where Sub-Zero gets the instructions to kill all the heroes of Earth that have a Mortal Kombat dragon before the Mortal Kombat tournament. Melina is there, no sign of Katana, Cabal makes an appearance as well as Goro, and two characters I had no idea existed before this movie, Nitara and Reiko. Sonya explains the lore of Mortal Kombat and has one of those crazy conspiracy walls that every movie has when they want to portray that a character has been obsessed with a certain event for a long time, uh, kind of like Spider-Man, um, a Beautiful Mind, Sunny in Philadelphia made a parody of this, so Cole is not buying it and even makes fun of the fact that past civilizations spelled the combat wrong, which I thought was a very nice joke. This one includes references to Kotokan, an Aztec god lookalike, and Nightwolf, who we last saw in the 1997 Annihilation movie. It's my animality. Kano does one of his classic fatalities to Reptile by ripping his art out. We take a trip down to the desert where Kano supposedly knows where the Temple of Light is. And this is where we get introduced to Lu Kane, aka Ludilin, aka the Black Power Ranger, 
from the newest Power Ranger movie, which is an awesome movie, despite what everybody says. Liu Kang takes them to the Temple of Light to protect the champions and train them in their arcana. This is the one aspect of the movie that seemed unnecessary to me. So according to the in-universe logic, if you have the birthmark of the Mortal Kombat Dragon, then you can unlock your hidden powers called Arcana, but only if you have that dragon mark. I would have rather that these individuals be special by themselves, by their own power and not by some marking. At this point, Chang Song tries to surprise attack the heroes, but Raiden puts a shield around the temple and says, He doesn't say that, but basically he says that. With the shield in place, the heroes can safely train. Cole can awaken his arcana, and the first one to do so is Kano, who has some amazing filthy dialogue when he does. Jax is also there getting his mechanical arms, but instead of the classic arms we know and love, he gets some flimsy machinery that can barely push a fly. Everybody trains under the tutelage of Liu Kang and Kong Lao, who is awesome and has the best fatality in the movie. Cole isn't the champion everybody thought he was going to be. Kano gets leg sweet by Liu Kang three times. Essentially, Kane was spamming the same move we have all spam at some point in our lives. Sonya sticks around for some reason and Cole gives up and goes back to his family. Kano talks to Cabal and changes sides. All he has to do to prove his alliance is to put the shield down. When he does, Chang Song and his generals are able to invade and after a long lull, we're back to some cool action. Kong Lao grabs Nitara, puts his spinning hat on the floor and crashes Nitara right in the middle of it, essentially recreating his fatality from the video games and it's awesome. King can't keep up with Cabal. Jax is doing his best, but he's useless and gets him and Sonya stuck under some rubble. After waking up, Jax does his best to lift a huge pillar, but can't until his arcana kicks in. And that's when we get those sweet, sweet Jax biceps. Look at those things. So mechanical. Cole is at his house, and who's there too? Prince Goro. Cole stands no chance until he too awakens his arcana, which is basically a protective suit that can absorb any punch, store its energy, and then release it. Where have I seen that before? I wonder. Cole defeats Goro, who gets completely wasted as a character, and I don't think he even has a single line of dialogue in this movie, which again, very disappointed. When it seemed like the heroes were holding their own, Sung does a fatality of his own by force choking and pulling Lao towards him. Your soul is mine, he says, and then takes Lao's soul away. At this point, Raiden calls it quits and takes his champions away to a space between spaces. Hulk is the great idea to divide the fighters into one-on-one -on -one battles. Jack fights in an iconic Mortal Kombat setting called the Pit and does his exploding head fatality. Kane faces off against Cabal and does his dragon fatality which is awesome in live action. Sonya kills Kano and gets her arcana. Cole goes directly against Sub-Zero and is getting his ass kicked until Cole impels Scorpion's kunai into Sub-Zero and with the blood of his enemy in Scorpion's weapon, Hanzo gets reborn in the best way possible by impaling his 
Kunai to Sub-Zero and say, Get over here. Hanzo and Cole join forces and instead of straight up killing him, Hanzo takes off his mask and does his iconic fatality where he breathes fire and burns his opponents alive. And it's awesome. Each of the characters get tasked with finding even more champions for the Mortal Kombat tournament we never had. And the first stop is Hollywood. Cole is gonna try and get Johnny Cage. Cut to black and then the movie ends. While this movie is a bit boring when the fighting stops, it does try to develop their characters. It doesn't succeed, but at least it tries. The beginning is amazing and it actually carries most of the emotional weight of the entire movie. The film, as of right now, has three big faults. One, it suffers from pacing issues. There are some times when the movie is super fast and is presenting so much lore that it becomes meaningless. Other times, like the second act, the movie comes to an almost complete stop. I understand why they did it. You can't just have action every second of every minute because we'll become desensitized to it after a while. But they didn't know how to balance the supernatural with the grounded, with the action, with the emotionality of the characters. The second big fault is its main character. The actor does a good job of portraying that character, but unfortunately the character itself kind of sucks. I didn't care about the character at all. I care more about the people surrounding him than him, and that's not a nice sentiment to have about your main character. Because of this, I didn't even care when it seemed like Goro was going to kill him, which again is not a good sentiment to have about the main character. The third big fault of this movie is the exclusion of some characters who are extremely iconic. When you pick villains, why wouldn't you pick more iconic villains than Nitara? You could put Cyrax, you can put Quicksandel. Too bad you will die. You can put Baraka. Same with the heroes. What's up with Johnny Cage being completely absent from this movie, aside from a poster? Two posters, actually, if I remember correctly. It seems like they were saving their best characters for the sequel, both heroes and villains. And again, this seems kind of obvious since the fact that we didn't even get the Mortal Kombat tournament. Now on to the good part. The fighting is excellent and that revenge storyline is amazing. The use of the video game accurate powers is also very well done and the inclusion of the fatalities is awesome. The fact that this movie is rated R also feels so good because they can show the brutality of every single sword slash or hat spinning fatality, which is amazing. I mean, that fatality wouldn't have been nearly as affected have we just heard Nitara uh, screaming in pain instead of actually seeing it? And then having uh, the blood spatter on Kong Slao, and it was a lot of blood. Again, it wouldn't have been so effective. Another great thing about this movie is Kano. Yeah, some of the funniest lines show some real vulnerability at times. And when it seems like he was going to be more than the bad guy than we know him for, it was actually kind of fascinating. He actually felt more of a real character than everybody else since he seems to be the only guy who acknowledges how ridiculous it is that a character uses a hat as a weapon. And I think that's the best place I can end this with. This movie has to do with the spinning hat and it's awesome. That's my review of the whole movie and the whole Mortal Kombat cinematic franchise up until now. What's your favorite Mortal Kombat movie and why? And who's your favorite character in this movie? Let me know in the comments below.
Before I go, I just want to remind you to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and to follow me on social media at NotSoYoungNerd where I post fun facts about movies and document my process as a YouTuber. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to check my other shows and I'll see you all next week. Bye-bye.